All right. Well, hello, Christine, and hello, Carrie. Hey. Hi. Again. Good to see you both. Yeah, it's great to see both of you too. And and I really enjoyed our last conversation when the three of us got together. And it's been nice that we've been able to kind of continue that conversation together um, off screen through um, keeping in touch with each other about these things. And it's been it's been really great to have the two of you. I I, I think that we we see things similarly and different. And we're all picking up different pieces of this, and so it's really great to have. Um, the, the our heads together and uh, the conversations have been really good. So we had talked about what what the kid, you know, the last time we talked about the kids being in a cult, we talked about the youth and what's going on in our schools and what's going on with our young people. And the question came up, what can parents do and how can parents respond to these pressures? And so um, Carrie, you're a parent and you're also very involved in advocacy and, and work around, around parenting and, and parents' rights and, and what's going on in our schools. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth on that description, but it that that's been an area of passion for you. Right. I have four kids and two young kids that I homeschool right now, largely due to pressures and concerns around what's going on with our school system. And Christine, you have a lot of experience with child development and with, with the psychological aspects of this and, and have, have spent time teaching these things and have given it a lot of thought. And so I think that it would be great to just have a discussion around that. And, um, and Carrie, do you want to kind of get us started? You were bringing sure, some yeah. things up that were really concerning for you specifically recently. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been an interesting week. Um, I was able to meet Dr. Bob Woodson and I was able to um, just have some conversations with parents and to find out how actively they're working against us as um, parental advocates. So I recently found out that the NEA, and they did this over a year ago, but they sent out, we knew that they called parents domestic terrorists, and that mm -hmm. was about wearing masks in mm -hmm. schools, which I never got involved in that. For me, it was like, okay, fine, you want masks, we're not going to school. So, so that was just how we felt about it. Mm. But um, they also sent out a message saying to silence anyone who critiqued critical race theory. So how did this message go out? It went to, um, it went to big tech and okay. it went, and it was from the NEA. Oh, okay. So if you like, I can share it and then you can put mm -hmm. it in. Um, but yeah, so it was. You know, here's the thing is they use words like harm and I sit back going, I don't cause anyone harm. I mean, I go to these events wearing 1950s dresses to show everybody how it's the civil rights movement. I'm like, I'm not exactly the scariest person, but um, um, so, but we have to remember that they, they usurp our language, right? So what we consider harm, violence, yes, they consider words anything that's against them, anything that's against quote unquote, protecting democracy, which is what they say. That's crazy to me that they don't understand that we're a constitutional Republic, but yes. our, but that, that kind of sneaking to our kids constantly, democracy, democracy, um, has been a real, that's been an eye opener. And then I recently found out that there was a member of the press who intentionally will not go to any events that I speak at because he does not want to amplify um, the fact that I speak against CRT. And, and so I drew those two lines together, but what I've recently found out, see on the weekends, I kind of like to rest and not think about this stuff because it really is, it's, it's like a full-time job. Um, I found out that the school board has specifically kind of painted me black, so to speak, which is hilarious because I live in a very Caucasian area, mm, mm, <laughs> and, mm. but, um, but a friend of mine mentioned my name to, um, to a school psychologist and the school psychologist was like, you should stay away from her. Wow. So yeah, what was really the context funny. of this? Um, they were, they were talking about, um, just the fact that I speak against DEI. Mm -hmm. So DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, we talked about that last time, um, but it never means what they say it means. And they don't mm -hmm. want anyone to know that they are really, it's crazy. Again, I'm in Utah. 
And people are pushing for this to the point now that there is a school board member who's going to a university and speaking this week. And um, or people are organizing to protest against her. And what's interesting on the organization things is it says educators first. And I find it interesting that they're not using the term teachers, but educators, right? Yeah. And so educators, parents, students, we cannot allow. So we went from CRT is not here to CRT is here and it's good. Mm -hmm. And we and can't allow anybody to challenge it. And if they do that, they're dangerous and you shouldn't talk to them. Well, more than that, you should protest them. Because there's a huge difference between just going, I'm not going to show up to your thing. You know, we have drag events often out yeah. and drag events in Utah. That's so wild well, to I me. I want to ask you a question about that, if that's yeah, okay. Because so I was talking to another clinician who lives in a small-ish town, uh, kind of Midwest. Okay. And so we were talking about this and he, his, his comment was really interesting. It was so interesting that we are inviting him to be a guest on the critical therapy antidote podcast, because what he was saying is that he's found that the reason some of this has infiltrated smaller communities or smaller, you know, states or whatever is because they tend to see, you know, that there's, that these people are experts, there's fewer voices in the room in general. And so these couple of experts, quote unquote, who they want to trust with, you know, not enough other voices in the, in the room here to kind of counter what they're saying, that they tend to lean more toward following what these quote unquote experts say, that their community becomes kind of hijacked in its own way, uh, because there's not a whole lot of other things. And so they put so much trust in what experts quote unquote will say who have those letters or degrees behind their name and who just know more about things so i was wondering if that's something that you find because i yes. i've been talking a lot about like okay it's the blue cities and it's the blue states like for me i've been but that's not true no. so anyway i just wanted to hear your thoughts about that too carrie about you it's know, elitism yes it's, it's elitism so if you do not have a college degree it's very easy for them to dismiss you. In fact, we had a situation where a young student was told to, she had to write a report on eating bugs and why eating bugs was good. Oh God. And Sorry. when her parents went and she, and she recorded it and it did end up going onto Fox news. And um, when, when her parents went and spoke about it, they were treated quite frankly, like dirt. Mm. Um, but then when a person of color who also happens to be a psychologist and um and well a person yeah a person of color went to speak to them they bent over backwards and she was talking to me about it and she said I don't know why when I was in the room we had it and we were going in the right direction we were going to get an apology for the kid because it did become a bullying situation where the sixth grader was getting cell phone messages about how horrible she was and that she should destroy herself and oh my gosh um, and and there were you know where does this come from this comes from parents gossiping and then their kids pick up the phone and yeah. say the thing to the kid this is so dehumanizing yeah but it does come down to elitism so out here where i live it used to be very rural but we are growing very rapidly um we're getting those like 500 unit complexes put up in the middle of a cornfield no joke <laughs> and um and what happens is they will say teachers will actually respond to parents when they have any concern and say we're the expert mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. i'm sorry but you're not the expert my child wow you're with my child for one hour a day max you know i'm with my child his entire life yeah, so. that's when you say elitism, I really, I think that sums it up really well. I think we've seen so much, so much push to have people rely on outsourcing their own judgment to someone else. That's been rampant, like it's ramped up these last few years. We've seen it with, we saw it big time with COVID and now we're seeing it with the education yes. process and the disenfranchisement of parents. And there's this trust us, trust the experts, the credentials behind my name, make me the one who can make the decision for you. You do not have the 
knowledge, the special knowledge, this some esoteric information <laughs> you do not possess. We right. do. We and it's trust the science and it's and it's um and then when you see somebody come out who does have the right credentials and they speak up against what's going on, they get completely slaughtered. They're yes. reputational suicide. You know, it's just <laughs> you're you're gonna be destroyed for that. So it's really the a phenomenon that we're seeing over and over again. And what seems to be at heart is this in this self-doubt, this doubting my own critical thinking skills. And that's only increasing as we create, as, as we perpetuate the process yes. of, of thought reform and psychological torture in our yes. school programs, which teaches people directly to yes. not trust their own intuition, because yes. we're going to present you with, with information that's so conflicting and then tell you that you have to swallow it and don't yeah. let you ask questions about it. So it teaches you not to trust yourself. So of course you have to trust the experts and it's just this circular process. And then you think about who those experts are and they're, they're often these people who've went through these particular programs, right? These, mm -hmm. these programs that they can't listen to another point of view without turning against the wall and going, oh, you're causing me harm. Yeah. That's what's scary about the professionals because, you know, I spoke, spoke a lot about Antioch and what's happening, you know, Leslie and I kind of connected over that, right? I was a professor there and, you know, Leslie's a student there. And, you know, the thing is, is Antioch isn't just doing programs for clinical um, uh, therapists, psychotherapists. They're not just provide, they, they also have a master's in education program. So mm -hmm. they're also teaching people how to be teachers. So those programs, and I focus a lot on psychology because it's what I know best, but those programs though at Antioch that are based on, you know, their master's in education uh, programs, very much more extreme even have incorporated all of this into actually some of the seminars that were about dividing the classroom were geared toward the teachers who are in training to dewhite their classrooms when they're with their K through 12, you know, students. So those teachers are getting completely mired in it and swallowed in it that this next group that's coming out here. Again, I speak about the clinical side a lot, but the education side is horrific. And um, then they fold in the social emotional learning and it's a total complete disaster area. Oh, the social and emotional learning. Did you guys see what happened in Chicago this weekend? I do not watch the news very often. I have to okay. take breaks, but please tell us. Um, they released over like a thousand kids via social media were told to go in and just rob places. So thousands of kids, they're jumping on cars, they're breaking windows, they're they're choosing their disruptive strategy as SEL would have you do it. Because that's what they say by eighth grade, that children should know how to choose their disruptive strategy. <laughs> so, and, and, and I'm watching the comments. And Wait, watching choose their disruptive strategy? <laughs> choose their disruptive. I'm sorry. Word yes. salad. You know, me and the word salad. I love word salad. Well, it's more specific. It's, it's a, more specific. Yes. How would you, how will you protest? Yeah. It's how teaching you... how to be an activist, Awful. how to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so how it starts out is that when they're in elementary school, they're taught very simple, very simple concepts of what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. My governor goes from school to school teaching one Utah. Okay. So that we're all supposed to be one this is a and we're all supposed to be their, you know, somebody's version of one. Mm. So you've got these rural country folks who are like, don't tread on me. Mm -hmm. And then you have these progressives, but we're all supposed to be one. How does that work exactly? Why, why are you going and telling our kids how they're supposed to be? So SEL starts in elementary school. I yeah. think I may have used this before with a puppy um, where they, okay. So a child will, they'll be reading a, pay, a story about how they go to a pet, a child goes to a pet shop and they see that the puppies aren't being adopted. So, well, that's not right. What can we do to get those puppies adopted? Okay, everybody, let's make puppy posters. Let's walk around the classroom and tell people, adopt the puppies, adopt the puppies. Change puppies to climate change, mm. puppies, to racial whatever. But mm. we're teaching kids that if they see something wrong, they must stand up 
but which I don't have a problem with. I think that you, you should teach courage to kids, but you don't get to choose to, to inflict on them what is right or what is wrong. It's, it's like a, the generation of an obedience pathway. I mean, it's just like, this is what you do respond this way. Here's your conditioning. We are going to, we're going to inform you about what your outrage is. And then here you, you decide how to take that out. Yeah. That's your, you have your like yes. little presets for activism. Last year, last year in the, um, in the first grade class that I was in, we would watch go noodles, which are little exercise videos for mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfectly fine. Until all of a sudden it's go noodle exercising in the park, how to have some courage. And then it goes, I can stand up for social justice. And they'd show the kids putting their fists up oh in the air. That mm. fist, I'm telling you, that fist and aggressiveness, the very first thing, you know, that I saw, right, when I was thinking about, you know, social, or when I was working and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in the psychology department, it's a fist. That, and that aggressive. fist is yes that's what it is i mean i know that there are there are people who will say that that's going down a conspiracy line but oh, no. that's what it is i've talked to so many people who've escaped communism oh, that's and, what and it is that's it, what it, it is. is yeah yes yeah it's it's symbolic and <clears throat> so this stuff is everywhere right now i mean these messages yes. are everywhere we're seeing the <clears throat> this education system subsumed by this social justice push. I mean, this is taking over everything. It's K through 12, it's higher education. And as people are speaking out where there's pressure to silence them as you're experiencing right now, Carrie, with, with what, with what's happening with um, reporters refusing to show up and people telling other people not to listen to you, but what can parents do and what should parents be doing right now if they're concerned about this and i i have a lot of thoughts about this but i really am curious about what you guys think and and mm-hmm. you know where what what would you advise a parent to do right now or, or all parents to be considering the, well the first thing they should consider and you have to just put that on the table and then you know then you have to go from there but the first thing they should do is homeschool they need to know that homeschool doesn't have to look like eight hours a day. Yes. Able doing everything. That's the first thing that we should be doing. And you can do it in pods. If they find other parents, you can yes. do the homeschooling in pods. I mean, <clears throat> because I think it's effective and I'll just say this real quick. I think one of the issues that is sometimes stressful for parents or for the kids is, well, then, you know, what happens when I, you know, see my friends or if they even do, let's say even a hybrid situation, So you do the pods and you have multiple kids, then they know they have other support system and a bigger support system with them. Even if you do four or five kids, if it's possible, and you can rotate a little bit with the parents, right? So if they can find, the parents find support that way, they don't have to do it all. The kids find support that way because at least they know these handful of kids, you know, other kids are like them and that's okay. And they have that connection. So I think that's a component to be creative about thinking about how to structure a homeschool situation. And I just really love the idea of pods. Um, I knew family that was doing that here. And that's when I finally, you know, first learned about what that meant and what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such a, a good way to kind of address all those, those two components, the yes. parents and they're being overwhelmed and the kids and them feeling maybe cut off in some way. So that they don't have to be in that, you know, place. Well, that way, if a parent, if a parent has a job where they have one day off a week, that's yeah. the one day that they could homeschool and yeah. then, then the kids could go somewhere else. Um, but a lot of people don't want to do that. They, they see socialization as being an issue. And then I look at our schools and I go, uh, no, no, they haven't. Yeah. There's, there's so many opportunities. There's so many groups. And um, I mean, every single club you can imagine is available to homeschoolers. You can also do a hybrid where it's mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. part like you go to school for the classes that would be, that we're, we're assuming are going to be safe. And then the classes that we kind of know aren't. So you want to keep your kids out of history. You want to keep your kids out of um, um, English. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that you really ethnic don't want. Studies, in public are they, are they doing oh, ethnic, ethnic studies, studies everywhere? Is something, the way that they'll do ethnic studies is it will be 
in every subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they, they, it's like an add-on to every single thing. The DEI becomes yeah. like yeah. a necessary component of every single subject. And on the topic of homeschooling, I I talked about this in the Solid Ground live stream this week. So um, I don't want to retread old ground, but I will go a little bit deeper into that. I I homeschool my two younger kids. They are nine and eleven. And I did not homeschool my older kids. I was a reluctant homeschooler for my younger kids because I wanted to get back to work. I wanted to go back to school. I did go back to school, but it just took me longer to go to graduate school while homeschooling. Um, my, but we put my, my older son into kindergarten and we watched as his, his whole personality flattened. He was miserable. It was, and, and my husband at the time was, um, really encouraging me to pull him out. He wanted him pulled out. And we talked and talked about it. And the school was kind of crazy. It was this Seattle school doing a really experimental thing where they had 70 kids in the kindergarten class and three teachers rather than having three kindergarten classes. And it wasn't working. None of the parents Mm. felt like it was working. The kids were just getting ignored for the couple of kids that were having problems. And it was kind of chaos. And so I did agree reluctantly to pull him out. And at the time I had this picture of school, like you were saying, Christine, like it doesn't have to be like school at school. You can do it your own way. But in my head, I had this institutional perspective where I needed to be able to provide these exact things and this kind of timing and this kind of framework for him. And I I read, um, so I started reading John Taylor Gatto. If you're familiar with him, mm. there's a book called dumbing us down. That was my yeah. first introduction to him. And it's a selection of his essays. And he was, a an award-winning school teacher, but he's also considered the father of un- the unschooling movement. Mm. And he writes about the history and the purpose of compulsory schooling and about, you know, how to, how to really, um, foster, independence, creativity, and, and internal motivation in your kid and how, what we're doing with public school is anything but fostering those yeah. things. Um, and so anyway, I could go on about that. Cause I find that to be such a fascinating subject, but, um, we've gone our own way with it. And I feel like my kids at, at this point are far better socialized than what they'd be getting if they were in schools. And they have rich social connections with the friends that we have. We don't do a pod per se, but we do have a homeschooling group that meets once or twice a week. Mm. And there are a lot of options like that for homeschooling families. There are a lot of people more since, since COVID so many people have pulled their kids out of schools. And so wherever you are, there are networks of homeschoolers and it's not, you know, you think of homeschool, I don't know what you guys think of, but when I think of homeschoolers from when I was a kid, it was like the awkward kids, you know, yes. right. really, <laughs> really awkward and kind of strange, but that doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way because there's so many families making that choice and you, wherever you are, you can connect with people. Can I we talk about, oh, go ahead. oh, I was just going to say, I think that that's even a better idea than private school because private school is not sheltered. It's not, it's no longer sheltered or protected anymore. You know, I went to private school, uh, Catholic schools, there were private schools, but you know, some were, you know, my high school is pricey, but my undergrad or my K through, my K through um, nine or K through eight was not anyhow. But what I noticed when I was a, a kid is that they took the word God out of the Pledge of Allegiance at the public schools, even though they did that, we were always protected where we didn't do that. First of all, it was Catholic. So there's already built in God anyway, but secondly, um, they don't have to abide by some of those other rules, but the problem is they're getting infiltrated too now. Yes. So they're no longer completely protected in the way that it was when I was growing up. So that's off the table now. So I just wanted to say that in addition, because I know some people think about going private, private school route. If you do that, you have to be very careful and you have to look very deeply at what it is that they're teaching because, um, they're starting to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid too, which is somewhat problem, highly problematic. So the choices are less, right? School choice is another, something that they tried to fight for here in California. So that if you have power of choice, school choice, the idea is you can take your kids out of certain districts and put them somewhere else. And that forces the hand of the education department um, to take out certain curriculum so that they can get back that money. And in California, I know California and some other places, they even fund parents to homeschool. 
they'll even yes, give parents they will actually a, um a, some that kind of a true. grant or a you have to be careful with that you do you have to be careful with that because okay. um we just passed that <clears throat> and literally just passed that this legislative session and they're already saying well then we want accountability for every oh. homeschooler mm -hmm. so, so they're going to so stick it in we'll there pay you but you have to do this if with you take your the kid. money yeah. yeah yes but they're but that's also their foothold into getting into the other homeschoolers mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. then they say it is privilege to not need this assistance <laughs> put your kid in uh, school i love it okay. let's throw but, that around wow yeah. one thing that i really want to stress is that it doesn't matter where you put your kid to school. You have got to vet your teachers and mm -hmm. you've got to vet the students that your child is hanging out with because these yeah. kids are learning. I don't want to use the G word, but these kids are conditioning each other. Mm. Um, so have you ever heard of the sex bracelets? No, no. What's that? So, um, and I found this. So some kids, I, I was taking some kids, it was really cool, to a dissident event um, where we were listening to a North Korean defector speak. But when they're in the car, they were talking about the bracelet. Mm -hmm. And um, you have like, you wear a black one. If you've given oral sex, you wear, sorry if that's too much. You no, wear it's just really shocking. Clear one if you are willing to do anything in the bedroom. Oh and my this, gosh. This is oh my God. So these kids. And um, what age did you say? Like middle school? Middle school. school. Middle oh school my is God. the target, you guys. It's not high school. High schoolers they have... want to get you. They want to get them before they fully formed or started puberty. to form. Uh, yeah. Puberty yeah. and identity and all yes. those developmental stages. If you get them there, then you yeah. can essentially, you've, you've, you've trapped them. You've, that's it. That's the and there are age. parents who will send their kids to a good school because they're activists. Yeah. They want to infiltrate that school. Is so, this trend something that's grassroots growing among children or is somebody inviting this? Is some adult, do you have any idea? Yeah, um, I can, I think I can pull it up, but I, I Googled it after the kids told me about it. Okay. And it is on one of the, like, it's a queer group. Yeah. It talks about, um, that talks about the bracelets and like what they, what they can all mean. Um, so from what I've heard, it's been around for a long time, but then it's been, you know, they've brought it back and now it's really heavy. So you'll see kids with bracelets all the way up their arms because for every single person that they done something with, they wear a bracelet. Wow. That's um, really shocking. I'm just horrified. And I feel like every time I think it's the worst thing I've heard, there's something even worse that comes along. I don't really know when this ends. So in terms of schools, and mm. like you say, Carrie, like you have to vet who they're in school with, who are they learning from, mm. um, and who are they around? One of the main reasons people won't pull their kids out of school is that their kids are bonded to these other people, and they worry about hurting their child. They worry about the, the social trauma of being ripped out of a system that you've been a part of. And I think that's really valid. I think that there's a lot of, I wouldn't dismiss that concern. Right. And I mean, I think if they pulled their kid out during COVID or right after that was a perfect time because the schools already provided you with the, with the perfect out because they destroyed your child's social yeah. system. And now, but now they're back and these kids, some of these kids suffered so badly in isolation and are so happy and thriving once again, you know, within their social network. And so I think it's important to talk about, about the pros and cons of that and, and why I would say that for most people, it still benefits you in the long-term and benefits your child to go ahead and pull them out of that. Because right. I think that the, the cons outweigh the pros, but Again, that's going to be an individual decision to make, but I think it's We're important living that to address. Right now. We're mm -hmm. living that right now as my son's in um, ninth grade and they mm -hmm. don't have a high school at his charter. Um, and so what I'm going to do is the hybrid. I'm going to, I've already went to the schools. These mm -hmm. are the things that you can and should do. Mm -hmm. I went to the administrator. I told him who I was. I said, I'm going to be your biggest fan as long as you keep my kid protected. But I said, if you try to indoctrinate him, if you bring in these, these ideas, if you take him to the school therapist, the school counselor, um, I will not be your biggest fan. 
and I will I, be at home. It's, I think this is though very key what you're saying now, the both of you, because we have gone through this period of time where parents have had the luxury and I'm not a parent. I don't have children of my own. I've gone to school boards and things because for me, it's more about, you know, these are the, this is the future. These kids will be making decisions, you know, in, in leadership positions when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, my God, who knows, right? So that's where I kind of operate from. And then I think it's also, you know, kind of abusive um, and that's my, my, where I, my lens. So what you're saying is so important here because I think parents have had the luxury all these many years of just being able to trust school and to just have the school handle things. And then they can yeah. go to work and they can do what they need to do to provide. And the school's got them and they're okay with that. And so we're talking here about pushing parents now to become much more involved than they've ever been before, no matter how tired they are, no matter how many, you know, they may have two jobs that they're, that they're, you know, that they're at to bring in income. I mean, we, there's going to be families out there who are like, this is just too hard for me to do. I'm going to have to find another way. And I think that's where some of these other kinds of ways of talking to your kids become important because you can be an important voice, even if you cannot take your kid out and homeschool right. them. There's still other things you can do to have those conversations because I think, you know, parents should be always have, you know, and I always admired my sister for this. I have to say my sister is a special education teacher. They don't have all this going on with, with that. She doesn't believe in it, whatever, you know, but the bigger piece that, that I've always been impressed with is how involved she's been with her kids to school and with their education from day one. And so the whole, you know, sort of trajectory of that is, you know, she ended up becoming a teacher so she could do that. That's the, that's the reason. So she'd have the hours in the day, you know, that they're, that they're at school, that when they come home, you know, she's there, she's present, the whole thing. And she's able to have been a lot more involved that way uh, by doing that. That was her whole entire, you know, one of her entire major reasons for changing careers right. when she had children. So, you know, I think that's great, but I don't think a lot of parents necessarily can um, do that. You know, the, the, the conversations have to continue at home no matter what this, I mean, we're asking parents, we are asking parents, are you up to the task? Pretty much. Right. We're right. tasking you with this big responsibility that you need to do more. But we're also trying to train them. We're, yeah. we're, we're also trying to train them to come up with the resources, even to offer. Yes. Like I've, I've put out multiple times. I can teach up to four kids. The problem is, is that I'm going to teach the way I want my child to learn. Okay. Yes. And, and that is something that he and I have discussed what he wants to learn, what he's interested in. And so if there are other kids with those same kind of like academically advanced in literature, um, maybe a little bit behind in math, whatever, like, how do you figure that out mm -hmm. for, for these kids? But I think that those of us who are in a place where we can teach our own child we should open the doors yes. to other kids because these, this is the society that our children are going to grow up in. That's right. So if we can open up the doors and say, look, okay, I understand that you don't have the time that you work full time. Well, then maybe you can pay for gas for our field trip, yeah. you know, or you can come on. That's the now. idea of doing like a pod structure. Even if the yes. teacher doesn't change the parent, I mean, doesn't change in the teacher role. That's kind of still this idea of just kind of carpooling in a way, you yes. know, yeah. and creating that kind of, and I love that Carrie so much. And, and the fact that if you look hard enough, and I do think those are such good points too, you're going to be able to find groups. You're going to be able to find somebody somewhere who might be able to homeschool your kid with their child. You just have to do the work. And, and, and again, you know, I'm not a parent, so I don't want to make this sound easy because I, I, I see that it is, it is not easy by any means, but all I can say is that, you know, what's more important at this point you know, mm -hmm. if there comes right. a point in time where there's a line in the sand, when has it been crossed? And when do you as a parent feel like, okay, I need to step in here because um, the school is poisoning my child. I mean, they're, they're poisonous. It, 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 there's no, the amount of suicidality in ch children, you know, and, and within the, even the high school crowd is so exponentially higher. And yes, COVID had something to do with it, but it was happening prior to COVID. You know, and it's not, media, it's not COVID. It's the social structures that were put in bingo. place because of COVID. And that's the same, the same people bingo. made those decisions or making go. these decisions yes. about CEI. Bingo. That's exactly yes. right. Yeah. 
And I think systemic narcissism in infrastructure. This is what my co-host and you know, it's true. There is a systemic narcissism within the That's really interesting. I, I, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Another, 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 another podcast, but I, I think it applies here to school. I do too. I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and I, I think that just as I reject in social justice, the, the reductiveness and the oversimplification of you're like this. So you do this, or you're like this. So you need to do this or whatever. I also think that it would be wrong to look out at parents who feel like they, they need to put their kids in school and say, well, you just need to do this. Cause that's too simple. That's not the way it is for everybody. Everybody has their own challenges Yes. And they have to figure out what works best for them. I, 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 I mean, I love the idea of boycotting schools. I love the idea of just boycott schools all the way K through 12, through university level, until we get this crap out of our school system and start actually teaching the subjects that people are trying to learn and teach people good skills and stop infecting everything with this social um, engineering. But do you um, believe but- but yeah, but I think that, at, and, and I do think, I do think that many people see roadblocks that they could move. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. as I said, I was a really reluctant homeschooler. I did not mm-hmm. want to homeschool. I was angry about it. I fought with my, my husband about this. I really, I thought, God, you know, I've been home with the kids. I worked part-time, but I, I had worked part-time since my son was born. I'd never didn't work but I'd been the primary caregiver at home. And I felt like it, it, when they go to school, now I have a chance to go back and do something that's, Mm -hmm. you know, in line with my goals that I had prior to even having kids, I can pick up some of those goals again, but I learned that I could incorporate it. The final straw was, um, was just how, how miserable he was. Okay. Just seeing, it was just like, Uh, yeah, yeah, he really, really hates this. And I don't feel like I'm sending him somewhere where I'm feeling like he's getting a benefit. I'm just sending him somewhere to stick him somewhere yeah. because I don't see him coming back. It, you know, bringing anything positive back from that experience. In fact, it feels really negative. And when mm-hmm. I'm looking at what they're doing with him, I feel like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a good system. So I, at that time I thought I'll pull him out for this year and we might put him back next year. And I took it every one year at a time for a while. But the point is that I really, I felt like we were broke and, you know, just on basically one and a half income. And I, I had financial goals that were going to be served better by me bringing in a full income and on down the line, all the reasons why I didn't feel like I could sacrifice and stay home with my kids and homeschool. But we figured out ways to make it work. We figured out creative ways to make it work. And yeah, we did without certain things. And I had to sacrifice certain things, but we made it happen. And now I'm a single mom and I'm still homeschooling. And I'm not saying everybody can do that, but I'm saying that there are sometimes, sometimes a roadblock can be, mm-hmm. you can get creative with that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and again, not everybody. I know that some people just face challenges that are very individual, but, um, but sometimes there are options when you don't see options. For sure. 100%. But do you guys think that, I mean, I worry that with our rather authoritarian lots of executive orders being made without going through Congress, um, that if we have a massive boycott and people just pull their kids out, that they're just going to say homeschool can't exist anymore. I do think that that's, that's, I I would not be surprised at all if we see attacks on homeschooling. I would not be surprised at all, but I know that it's a very big lobby. It's a very powerful, there are a lot of people with a lot of investment in the ability to take your independent your education independent yes so i think it would be it would be a real battle it yes. would be a battle and i think like i said it goes back to what i said earlier which is that we've been able to have the luxury of being asleep at the wheel for a long time yeah. now that people are waking up to an extent it's not even everyone to an extent, how much damage has already been done? How do you try to reverse it? And how do you just, at this point, stop the bleeding, forget about healing right. the wound. That's, we're not even close, right. but we're trying to put band-aid on a bullet wound, as they say, right? So I think well, there's yeah. a big part of this that's just sort of, you know, by the time we came to a point of realizing that there was a, you know, a, this toxicity and indoctrination happening, it had already been going on for a couple of decades, minimum. 
But what I don't want to do is, is make people who have absolutely in their mind said homeschool is not an option, feel like we're not giving them any other options. So I think it's really important yeah. that there are resources and that we, um, that we're educating people, you know, um, I mean, it's some of it, you know, what I, you know, I kind of worked a little bit on this cult, you know, uh, article, some cult publication that I put that myself and this woman, Bonnie Snyder put together, which was really good. And that's what we did is I sort of pulled some suggestions for parents that couldn't on what they can do at home, whether or not they can stay. I do agree that there are roadblocks. I do agree that some of those roadblocks can be moved and you can get creative. I agree. Sacrifice, you know, all of those things. And I also, you know, agree that maybe that's not going to be able to still be feasible for people. So, I mean, I think some of the things that, you know, were that I pulled together about suggestions on conversations to have with your kids are things that we do in therapy, really, if you're practicing properly, which is, you know, probing questions, right. And not things that are judgmental, but things that are, you know, tell me more about what it means to you. So when you tell me you don't feel like a girl, even though you have the body parts of a girl, tell me, tell me why I want to understand you better rather mm -hmm. than going straight for the jugular, right. With the whole, this, this is crazy. What, is, where's that coming from? The mm -hmm. not criticize right? The being able to say, you know, you want to say this ridiculous, you're crazy, it's nutty, you know, but you actually want to understand better uh, and try to avoid things like that. Like these are some of the conversation skills, I guess you could say that over time can probably get you to have at least a close enough relationship with your child where they may consider a different point of view, meaning your point of view as their parent, as a possibility but the conversations are shut down. Either parents aren't aware, sometimes it's happening all secondly, the conversations are shut down. Or number three, they are scared to death because a therapist or somebody else has told them if you don't comply, then your kid is going to kill themselves. So this right. idea of suicide and self-harm is also being put yes. on the table now as a means of controlling the conversation. Yeah. And people, it is bullying. And most of the time, the kids want to just be heard and be understood like everybody else. And I think approaching it, and it's hard not, you know, it's easier to do that, obviously, if it's not your own child. But I think in right. general, right, you can say to your child, you can model some of those things. I don't agree, but I appreciate you sharing your opinion. And let's talk more about this. Or I may have more thoughts that I want to talk about, you know, with you. I need to sit with this for a bit. I need to process this, right? I need I to sit with it. Role modeling, a little bit of that behavior can open a conversation door for them where yeah. you can start to have those discussions without expecting, you know, that this is going to change overnight. Yeah. But, but I think there's another side of the it. teacher said, yeah, like, okay, well, here, here's a great opportunity to say, okay, great. So you heard this perspective. Let me introduce you to something else. Let's talk yeah. about a different way to understand this because I, you know, you, you, you know, you know, that people are imperfect, right? So they may not always say or, or, or whatever, present information in an accurate fashion or a way that makes sense or whatever. However, you want to phrase that. Um, how about thinking about it this way? I mean, getting involved with your child's education doesn't right. mean you have to be not working and only homeschooling. Mm -hmm. You can get involved by simply being present and a part of the conversations and understanding what it is the teachers are saying and understanding how to be more, you know, um, uh, attuned, if you will, with your child's own needs. Well, you know, and one of the things that we often do is we jump into the whole, whole, we need to protect them from the transgender thing, but there's so many other things our kids need to be protected from, right? Yeah. Like, like, cause our boys are being taught that they're toxic. Our boys are being taught that they're toxic. And if they laugh at the wrong thing. And so I'm seeing memes come through and sometimes these memes are wow that's that's kind of offensive like a, like a meme about black yes. people being monkeys okay these are the things that are going through our through our kids we cannot just turn around and say how dare you we taught you better than this correct it has to be so why do you think that's funny and then correct. you know having, having the conversation but like embracing and then maybe that's what i'm getting at right there carrie you is that like you a don't funny meme. Yes. Know? Yes. Right? I, so yes. Building that relationship and making yes. sure we're the most important person in their lives. That's exactly right. I, it That is exactly right. Nail on the head right there, because they're not just 
gonna they're gonna be exposed to this stuff in other ways through social media and all the other things that they do yeah no matter how much you know you're able to create a more insulated environment for them there's always going to be things that are externally going to you know probing and pushing through that so you know what does it mean to teach your kids proper critical thinking skills because even the word critical has been hijacked to mean something it's not mm-hmm. right? yeah i think critical, i think you're both making word. really good points and um, Carrie, it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not just one issue. Yes. It's like a process of, of self-doubt and trusting outwardly and self-censorship. That's what's being taught to kids. Is, yes. It's a process of, of outsourcing all of their agency and all of their, their, um, their ability to make choices for themselves is it's being you're not outsourced. teaching them how to think you're teaching no. them what to believe. And, and, well, and then the parents are, then the parents are not only, so it's not just self-censorship for the child, mm-hmm. but also for the parents, which is right. building that wedge between yes. the relationship. Because Absolutely. parents are afraid if I say, if I say the wrong thing to my child, yes. blow up. they're going to kill themselves. They're going to blow up. And you know mm-hmm. what? That, or they're going to tell somebody at that. school and they're going to be targeted. They're going to take your kids away. And that's where boundaries come into play, right? There's still something here called boundaries, which are limits. We're still trying to set limits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if your kid says, you know, well, if you don't do something to kill myself, then, you know, your response as a parent is, well, gee, I'm very concerned about that. And if you're feeling badly about that, there's places you can go. I can, we can, I can take you to the hospital to be evaluated to see if you need some care, because that's what you do if you're going to threaten suicide. It's what we always do clinically when a child says that. We don't just say, okay, okay, I won't say anything or right. That's, oh, stop yeah. that. You, you're, you're just using that to upset me. No, mm-hmm. right there. Is Take, a it genuine concern. Yeah. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. That's like, that, that's because, negotiating with terrorists. But, but our, our kids are learning how to manipulate us by saying that thing. Mm-hmm. I have a teenager right yes. now. And we yes, did have are. a situation where I found his missing homework and he literally wrote his letter. Okay. So this, this really happened for oh, us. Carrie. Yeah. And and it was a situation where you're sitting there going, okay, what do I do? I know that this is about homework. This mm-hmm. is not about anything but homework. And so we just went out for a milkshake and had a Very conversation. Nice. But when we finished the conversation, I did tell him, you know how you mock when, you know, you see quote unquote snowflakes being fragile. Yes. And I'm like, but when you do that, when you write a letter over a missing homework, yes. I feel the same way. And I'm, I'm not, go. I don't want to diminish, diminish where you're at in this, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I am your parent. That's right. That's and I beautiful. have to be able to hold you accountable. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, you had a heart to heart human discussion with him. A human discussion and accountability, right? Because if you're going to say something like that, that's going to be very hurtful and scary for me as your parent that you're in danger. I mean, this is something flippant that I'm talking about here, where I'm just being flippant about the whole thing. It's actual genuine concern. And this is how you handle things like that. Take your kid out for a milkshake. And, ha- and have a conversation. I mean, because I'm afraid to take him to the therapist. Step. Let me let's let's right. be real. I'm, well, I'm that's that's something. I think too. that's a really good point. Like, if your kid threatens <clears> something like that, and your response is, I think that your response makes a lot of sense in a sane society, Christine. When you sure. say take take him to get evaluated, but in an insane society where that person that you're going to have him evaluated by, you know, who knows what what their agenda is then yes. that becomes something that you're, again, that's outsourcing to an expert. And maybe the expert is right there in your family. And it's the connection between and you and the kids. That's right. Who knows if that, yeah. if that child will pursue that action mm-hmm. and who knows mm-hmm. if they won't, that's the problem, right? You're, there's a huge risk involved because kids with suicidality generally, you know, if they do complete it or even attempt it, it's impulsive. So yeah. it's usually not something that necessarily is well thought out. And then number two is that it's usually over circumstances that are changeable, that will change. Very mm-hmm. rarely do you have a suicide attempt or, or suicide completion even that is based on a long-term mental health diagnosis that was underdiagnosed or missed. That's usually not the case. It's over 90 something percent you know, these, of these kids are attempting or completing suicide on changeable circumstances. Mm-hmm. In that case, Carrie, well, and then that invites the homework, right? Ever brought up, it brought up for him, you know, one day that's not going to matter. One day mm-hmm. that homework isn't going to matter either. Right. right. These are just 
the, the, the ways in which everything feels too big for these mm-hmm. kids. And, and that, yeah, Christine, that? that, that perfectly invites the conversation around distress tolerance and yes. the, the fact that most emotional distress is brought on by the conflict and the discrepancy between expectation and reality. 100%. or desire and reality. And that's going to happen over and over as we go through life. And it's really 100%. important to have those conversations. And you can look at those oppor- those those times when the kid is really struggling with being yes. able to tolerate distress as opportunities because they're going to happen. And this is your opportunity as a parent to create the, the thought processes that they will take with them into adulthood and yes. use in future situations. So those situations are not to be scared of there to be you when you see that happen with your kid maybe it's not a suicide threat maybe it's just whatever it is Mm -hmm. that they're going they're they're out of themselves they're out of control of themselves because their anxiety or their distress is too big for them to tolerate as a parent you can say great here's a chance for me to be a guide and and put in a framework that this human being is going to carry with them for the rest of their life and help them to tolerate the intolerable, like it's going to help them to tolerate job loss, divorce, you know, an accident, an illness, whatever it is, because we're right. going to have things that are so hard for us to deal with. And yes. those early guidance, those that it creates a scaffold really it that does. can help them. And if we just, if instead, every time we hear the child becoming overwhelmed with distress, if we placate, yes, we weaken their ability to handle Bingo. distress throughout That's really life. it. If you play, and so that in that conversation, Carrie, that you had with your son and that moment where you took him out for that milkshake, he's going to remember for the rest of his life. I could almost guarantee you 110%. He will it's, always it's remember that. Months, that's when you showed up. Well, so. That's yeah. He, you showed up for him yeah. though, in a different way. Well, you also set a boundary and an expectation. And that's right. part of it too. Kids need limits. They need the boundary. They need the expectation. So there's right there setting even here's, here's a, here's a consequence of, of that, you know, potential consequence. Here's a, you know, the boundary you're setting, the limit you're setting is that if you say that this is how it's going to be for me and where that may go. Right. Because Mm -hmm. you're charged with the number one task as a parent is to protect your kid, to keep your kids safe to the extent Mm -hmm. that you can and alive, you know, to the extent that you can, right. That's task one. Well, and that's so interesting because like SEL will say their main goal is, is to establish grit in our kids, but more and more kids with it. I know. Okay. More and more, more kids with the whole SEL social and emotional learning. Yes. They are going to their teachers and quote unquote advocating for themselves and saying, I can't take this test because I feel really triggered right now. Uh-uh. So and, and that, that's <laughs> that, what I mean by our kids are learning to manipulate us. And I know, yeah, like, they are, they are I'm having the conversation right now. I'm like, oh, great. So one person, one activist sees this and they're like, oh, now we found an in for that kid. You didn't find an in for my, no. I realized my child was trying to manipulate me so that they couldn't do their homework. Yes. But I also spent extra time and do spend I mean he and I, we're like this so yes. but, but you know you spend a lot of time because it the most important thing that any parent can do is be the go-to for their yes. kids no matter what the situation whether they're in school and yes you absolutely the other thing that parents must do is be informed they have to recognize they have to be so informed that when the weird comes, they're like, oh, I recognize that. That's that. Yeah, that way, point. because because they're being lied to all the time. They're being one lied thing, to. One yes. thing I wanted to, to say is that I think when we talk about accountability and then about that scenario, I can hear already somebody getting it twisted up and saying, but you took him out for a milkshake. How is that accountable? And I want to say back to that, that that's like let's inoculating him against perfectionism and that's showing him that's that's taking him down a path of and and it's a phrase that's used too much but really Mm self-care in addition to the accountability because you did have the difficult conversation with him which teaches him no we face this but you also gave him you gave him a soft landing which says we face this but we still we're still good things are still okay we can we can land softly And look ourselves in the eye and say, do better next time without saying I'm a failure. 
But that right there is what I think the definition is of love. And if I'm just going to say this one, because I know we're getting close to time, this one final thing about the connection between kind of the cult idea, uh, thinking, way of thinking and love, right? Mm -hmm. Where love does not mean everything. You love your child unconditionally. That does not mean that there aren't boundaries or things that are inappropriate in which you are not going to support them doing. And in a cult, right? The idea is that you're going to be that love means acting and behaving any old which way that that you want and being accepted and all of that being okay. It's everything you ever want versus having boundaries and understanding that I love you unconditionally does not mean you are allowed to spray paint your bedroom. It does not mean that you are allowed to, you know, throw a huge, uh, whatever party, I guess, whatever they do mm -hmm. it anyway. But, you yeah. know, I think you get my point here. Like it's not agree agreeing and being agreeable to everything and saying yes all the time. That mm -hmm. cult thinking is what, what the, the way that they describe love to be versus what it actually really is. And what it is, as a parent to be able to set the boundaries and to say no, and that you support them, but not every behavior you support their even maybe even desire behind it but not the behavior or the approach in which they took to achieve it, right? So those are the conversations that get lost, that end up being the core component of why, if you can build that with your kid, then carry what you said, they go to you first. You're the first point of contact. Why, you know, as you said, Leslie, you're the first, or they learn about this whole idea of not being perfect and that, that, that that's okay, but we're going to do better next time because there are other options mm -hmm. on how to respond to this feeling or situation. That's mm -hmm. what creates that kind of space between you and your child where they actually can trust to come to you first. There's that word trust. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important and to set those, set those wheels in motion when they're young and to look at challenges in parenting and challenges with your kid, yeah. not as stressful moments that you fear and that you want to, um, you want to make them go away, but as opportunities, because yes. those challenges that kid that kids have are the same challenges that everybody has throughout life. It's just the childhood flavor of it. And this is their training wheels. You are providing them with their training wheels and their scaffolding. And it's kind of like this when you're when your child is a baby, you're fused they're, You're like this. And as they get older, they need a little more space and a little more yeah. space until eventually they're on their own. And you yeah. are just as peripheral to them as, as, as you can't, you know, as a friend or another family member, you are an, a, a human being independent of them and they are independent of you. But what, what you set into motion for them when they're young and what you teach them about handling adversity stays with them for the rest of their life. Yes. And so those are all opportunities. And I think um, it's, it's true that not everybody can remove their kid from the school system, but anybody who's ever parented a teenager knows that you look them in the eye and they're rolling their eyes and they're looking away and they don't seem like they're getting it. But later you hear that they got it later. They, you have a conversation they with them it. and they did hear you. So it is important to keep those communication channels open and not stop. Trying. I can't tell you the countless times I've heard my sister tell my nephew, you know, you got to take the bull by the horns when it comes to your education. Ever since he was a little guy and he would walk away, I, I witnessed it with my own very eyes. And um, what did he say to us this past Christmas when my sister was asking him about, you know, what motivates him to be, do so well in school now? He's a computer science major, math and things that he hated. And he said, I just remembered your words about taking the bull by the horns. I mean, that brought me to tears only because I remember how much she would call me so distressed that she doesn't think he's listening and paying attention and she doesn't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? He got the message and he applied it. Yeah. And said it. I mean, it was amazing. That's beautiful. I think that we just need to remember to come full circle that um, um, we are the experts. There you go. It's on us. Of your of your, yes, That's, of your you child. Know, so yeah. So when I think the first thing that a, that a parent should do when they've got a kid in a situation and they wonder about the teacher is that if the teacher responds with, well, I'm the expert, you need to just trust me. It's probably not the right teacher to have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm perfectly fine with working together with teachers, um, with co-working and, you know, um, supporting them as long as they're going to respect our values and not yes spread too far um but ultimately i know my kid 
Mm-hmm. We we know our children. We know what's best for our kids. We yes. are the ones who saw that little person and thought, you know, um, the hope of the future is a little boy with a frog in his pocket. Like we're, we're, <laughs> we're the ones or a little girl, whichever. But, but, but we see our child and we think we want everything for them. Yes. A teacher often can be like, well, your kid's a brat, you know, your kid's a whatever, but they, they don't, they don't go home. I mean, some of them do go home and think about their kids, but not the way that your average parent does. Yeah. I, you know, there are bad parents for sure, but, but your average parent, that child is their life. And so to take that from us Mm. is just not an option. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So powerful. So powerful. Yeah, just so powerful moves me to hear the both of you talk about parenting and um how much you love your children it's incredible it's it's an experience I'll never have and I admire so much those of you that are you know privileged and honored to be parents as hard hard as it is I it's not for the faint of heart and anyhow I'm just always in awe of that well you're you have such valuable insight coming from your experience in and your training and your experience also just witnessing what you've witnessed with your family yeah thank you yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but you you ladies pleasure to know you and an honor honestly so thank you well yeah thank you both for a really great conversation another really good conversation i really enjoyed talking with both of you thank you same same it's the highlight of my whatever (laughs) (laughs) me too yeah well i look forward to the next time we have a chance sounds great all right you guys bye bye